Hey, we have been moving through uh, our series uh, for this month that we've entitled Ask More, Get Less. And uh, maybe if you're new today, we are so glad that you are here. We want you to feel a part of the family. I'm going to backtrack a little bit, maybe to bring you up to speed a little bit more. But, but we have this desire for, for a couple of strategic questions that, that help guide our life a little more. And one of the key thoughts that we've had through our study so far has been this, that your decisions determine the direction and the quality of your life. And we've tried to kind of put the brakes on and back up a little bit, realizing that so much of our day is filled with decisions and choices, and, and that sometimes we kind of blow through some of the, the signs that should really cause us to slow down and to consider the long-term effect of some of the decisions that we feel sometimes we need to hastily make. And so it not only challenges the direction, but Unfortunately, at times, the quality of our life as well. Maybe another way to say it is, is that our decisions create the story of our life. And it's either going to be a good story or maybe a not-so-good story. Now, the truth is, is that most people, they don't plan to complicate their life with bad decisions, but far too many people don't plan not to. And so that's what I want to help you and what we've been working through this month is how to ask more and get less. And there, within these couple of questions that we want to ask, I think can equip us to make better financial decisions, better relational, maybe family decisions, even in your professional life is to learn that by asking more, we get less, less problems, less regret, less hurt, less time away from the focus and the direction, and obviously the goal that we want not only for our life, but that God has for us as well. We talked about the integrity question. Am I being honest with myself, really? That, that before we make some of those questions, it's really understanding the motive that is driving the force of the decisions that we want to make. Bailey talked last week about the legacy question. What story do I want to tell, and, and maybe even more important that, is what story do I want to be told of me? Am I living a life of integrity? Am I living a life of, va- of value and honor of what, what would people say about the way I am leading and directing my life? Today we're going to talk about the conscience question, and here's what I mean. Is there a tension that we find ourselves in that does need my attention. So there are moments in that decision-making process where, again, unfortunately, a lot of times we panic, that, that it's hard for us to kind of hesitate and to wait, to, to get more information or get some confirmation, maybe from others and certainly from God. And there is a tension that we deal with, and rather than allowing the, the proper time for it to kind of marinate into our soul, many times we act or we react and we miss We miss the moment or we miss the the turn that God has for us. And I want us to, again, continue to slow down even more and, and maybe answer that question. Is there a tension that I face that needs my attention and what do I do about that. So my task is realizing the keystone of of every question that we want to ask is this, what is the wise thing to do? 
And whether that's from maybe small everyday issues or maybe some of the big decisions that we have to make in life, that we realize that there's got to be a, a learned pattern that, to help us to make better decisions, to get more, to ask more, but, but get less of the things that are going to derail us and know the, the value and the wonderful things that God wants to provide for our life. What is the wise thing to do in these areas and situations that I face? And so my task, this series, is that I want to help you with some biblical direction to make the best possible life decisions while leaving the fewest regrets. Deal for everybody? Yeah? Then we're going to look to see what does God's word have to say that I can ingest and I can get the most out of that while leaving the fewest regrets. I want to ask more and I want to get less. So let me do a little psychological, social kind of question test, kind of bring you into how do we manage this conscience question today? Why is it that people who've had too much alcohol to drink are generally inclined to make bad decisions, right? Now, I know none of you know any of that from personal experience, okay? But but generally, when we think of the population and a lot of the craziness that goes on, maybe in your family, uh, at some work party, or in the people that you know, why is it that when people get drunk that we realize that their decision-making gets really sketchy. How many kind of go, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, right? What, what, what is that? You've probably never heard somebody say, wow, it's a good thing I was drunk or I would have made a really poor decision right there, right? I mean, that, that's not normally how it's brought out. That's normally what takes place. And so let's dig into why do people make bad decisions more times than not when they're under the influence of something. Well, one of the things that alcohol does to the brain is that it increases the norepinephrine in our system, which is a stimulant, whereby increasing our impulsiveness and decreasing our inhibition. How many know that's a deadly combination right there, right? And so that's why people feel 10 feet tall and, you know, a thousand pounds tough and they're willing to do crazy things or take on challenges that, again, in normal situations and circumstances that, that we probably wouldn't do because we have something surging within us in a moment that is increasing our impulsiveness and at the same time decreasing our inhibition. And, and to go even a little bit more, that also then lowers the sensitivity to potential consequences that are associated with our decision-making process. Even more, it temporarily impairs the activity in our prefrontal cortex, and it's there where we connect all the dots in our rational thinking. And so when people get blitzed or blasted, unfortunately, all of those things that are designed to help us make good decisions, all of those things that we would probably in our normal life would never say, would never do, would never step or walk into, we recognize are severely limited in that moment. I don't know if some of you know the name of comedian Ron White. Um, he kind of did some stuff with Jeff Foxworthy and the Blue Collar Tour and all those kind of things. Well, he had kind of his own stand-up routine, and he was always famous that the entire time he was doing his stand-up routine, he was always drinking some kind of hard liquor until one day he got arrested for DUI. 
And this is what he said. He said, I had the right to remain silent. I just didn't have the ability in that moment, (laughs) right? Because he realized that being under the influence, right, that he was kind of fulfilling that classic kind of genre of which he was stepping into, where he was increasing his impulsiveness while his inhibition was being decreased. And it got him into a lot of trouble. So fortunately today, I can't speak from experience on that matter, but the underlying truth is drunk people don't necessarily or consciously ignore common sense, it's just that it gets suppressed, that that something blocks those normal decision-making processes. It's kind of like the light, a lot of cash just gets shut off for a while, and so more times than not, a lot of chaos ensues. I can tell you over the last year or so that I've seen this more than a few times now that I'm working with the Erie Police Department. We bring in a lot of belligerent, mouthy, foul, aggressive people, but once they sleep it off, most of them come out of the holding cell apologetic, quiet, and probably a little ashamed. They realize that who they were when they came in It's not most of the time who they are when they leave. Now, most of the officers take all the abuse in stride. In fact, not only do I give them big props for everything that they do, but when they have to deal kind of with a drunk, belligerent citizen, like I give them extra extra props because they are getting cussed out, cursed out, called all kinds of names, challenged, and, and they're just simply doing their job. And most of the time as that is taking place, they'll look at me and they'll, they'll just kind of say, they're just drunk. Like, like they've been able to, to categorize that, that somehow I don't like it, but I've been doing this long enough to know this probably isn't who this person is in their everyday life, but because they're drunk, that switch has been shut off and now they're a whole different person. And they know that within a couple of hours, when the time has come to let them out, a lot of the times they get apologies or people tell them, I'm sorry, I was just like, I was out of my mind, whatever. And they see this day in and day out, and, and I've seen it a lot over the last year as well. So here's the bad news. So hopefully none of us find ourselves in that situation, but the bad news for us today is those of us that are living our life sober throughout our lives, that we tend to be guilty of choosing to ignore the cues around us and the internal pressure within us. See, the bad news for you and I today is is that we have less excuse for our poor decisions. We're not necessarily going to blame it because I'm high or because I'm drunk. The challenge for those of us here today is is that we just blow by the signs on our own fruition. We just ignore all of the things that God is wanting us to slow up on. We have no excuse other than ourselves trying to get what we want, how we want it, and why we want it. And then we question and we wonder why is life making the turns that it is? Is because, again, we are not processing the circumstances and situations that are in front of us. We're missing the signs that God has for us to live a healthy, wholesome life. So there's 
a couple of situations in Scripture, but I want to lead us to maybe a pretty famous family in the Old Testament that I think will give us some valuable lessons on how to detect when there is tension inside of us that demands my attention. That something is happening and either I have to recognize that and I have to get to some good people that are around me. I've got to learn how to pump the brakes or how to avoid some of the pathways that I find myself walking down. Because the truth is, is that although we're good people, a lot of the challenges that we face, we face them more than just one time. When people come to see Debbie and I, oftentimes they're phrase like everything else in life is just seeming, I don't know how I fell into this again. I don't, I can't believe, Pastor Jim, that I'm here again to talk to you about this same issue. It's sometimes just kind of a a revolving door about some powerful issues that happen in our life. And again, we're with less excuse. And we have to find strength from from the Bible today and from asking the right questions that will break that cycle and help us to move beyond some of the things that stop the wonderful things and the wonderful path that God has in our life. So let me talk to you about the last story first. We hear Solomon's advice to his sons in Proverbs chapter 4. So we know that Solomon, kind of his claim to fame was, was his value and his desire for wisdom from God. And much of the Proverbs and much of his writing has to do with helping you and I ask the right questions, live the right life. What is the wise thing to do? And so this is what he says to his family, Proverbs chapter 4. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I will give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my worth, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. For the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. I could hear every father talking to every child, every son, every daughter, these same words. Listen, I've been around the block. I've been at the highs, and I've been at the lows. I've been on the revolving door. I haven't asked all the questions in my life. I've let my mind wander. I've walked into some situations that I shouldn't have. I felt the tension that did not get my attention and the road was painful. The the comeback was hard. And so now as a father, I want you to be able to hear these words so that you will avoid some of the nightmare, some of the difficulty, some of the tragedies that life will deal you in life. So as a father, hear me, heed me, listen to the words that I give to you today. But unfortunately, there is a sad part to Solomon's story. Because if you did probably a general search on the life of Solomon, one of the main questions that people will ask is, why didn't Solomon follow his own advice? 
You see, it's a wonderful thing in Proverbs chapter 4 where he's pleading with his sons, with he's pleading with his family about, about making the right decisions, about understanding the tension that we will find in life that without dealing with it is going to be a powerful force to move you into some very difficult waters in life. And so listen to my words, but unfortunately Solomon got to a place where he failed to heed his own advice. And most of the end of the story that we read about Solomon is is that all of his beginning paled into the comparison of a disastrous finish. You see, there's a condition that Solomon had that I think allowed him to, to do that, to not take his own advice. Do what I say, don't do what I do kind of thing. Do you know what that condition is called? It's called human, human condition. You can moan or groan. That's all right today. You see, one of the same things is that we question Solomon. Why did you not follow your own advice? Well, let's be honest. How many of us have failed to listen to our own advice? What that little voice inside that be saying, like, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be going here, you shouldn't be taking this, you shouldn't be talking like that, you shouldn't be making that text, you shouldn't continue that relationship, right? And yet we blow right past that tension in our line, and usually there is disaster that is waiting. And that's why Solomon is begging and pleading with his family, listen, I've failed to take my own advice, and I've lived, unfortunately, the end of my life was now more disastrous than the beginning. My legacy has been tarnished because I failed to follow through. And I beg you, I challenge you to be able to understand this tension that happens in our life to stop and realize, listen, there's a reason this is happening and I need it to get my attention. There's not only, again, my story, but as we talked about last week, there is a legacy story. You see, every decision is, there's no such thing as a personal decision. Every decision you make is going to affect somebody around you. Let's just be honest about that. There is nothing hidden. There is nothing secret, right, in our style, in our lifestyle, in the things that we do, thinking, listen, this isn't going to harm anybody. No one is ever going to know. Listen, don't fool yourself. There's no such thing as a personal decision. Solomon thought he could get away with it. He's the king. Who's to question him? Only to realize if only I had more time to let my family know of the blunders that I have made and somehow to help them avoid these things in life. He was good at giving advice. Unfortunately, the human thing is, is that it's tough for us to take our own advice. Now, if we went back a few dozen years, we'd read the story of Solomon's father, David, Again, a little bit of where we recognize how did Solomon get there. You see, David's story started off like really amazing. He was the youngest of a bunch of sons. And the king at the time was not doing a good job, and so God was about to make a dynasty change and was looking for who would be the next king. And so he sends Solomon, he sends Samuel the prophet to the house of Jesse. And when he walks in the door, Jesse had lined up all of his sons from the eldest to the youngest. And instantly Samuel saw the first child and thought, especially in that culture, the double honor that was placed on the first child. He looks 
like a king. He's been healthy and wise and has followed in his father's footsteps. God sent me here. Surely he is the one. But God said no. And God said no to the next one and to the next one and to the next one and to the next one. And Samuel got quite confused. He knew that he heard from God that he needed to go to Jesse's house. But somehow the king is missing. And he asked the father, are these all of the sons? In fact, the answer preliminary was like, yep, this is all of them. And then he remembered, oh, wait a minute. I do have a baby boy out in the field watching the sheep. I mean, certainly we wouldn't consider him. And Samuel said, I'm not going to sit down until David comes into the house. And the moment that David walked into the house, God spoke to the heart of Samuel. This inner voice, this conscience, this spirit of God when we walk in the things of God. And the Bible tells us that Samuel knew immediately this, this is the boy. It went beyond all conventional wisdom. This would have never happened in the normal, in the human context of life. Never would the littlest boy ever be chosen over all of these elder brothers. But there was a tension that God had given to Samuel that needed his attention. You see, in his own, he was willing to take what looked obvious, what looked right. And there was a tension that he missed. I want you to get that with me today. We're going to talk more about that. And it was David that God was putting his touch on. And so the prophet anoints David there amidst his family. Now there was a problem that was happening because there was still a sitting king over Israel, King Saul, who was still on the throne. So there's a king on the throne, but now God is anointing David as this new king. God was about to make a dynasty change and in the process help David begin to manage some of the tension that he would occur in his life. Most of you know the story of young David. He shows up at a battle scene. There's a big warrior by the name of Goliath down in the valley who's been taunting the armies of Israel for over 40 days. And David kind of wonders, why is this going on so long? He says, listen, did God not give us victory as God of Israel, not the God of all. And so you know that he goes down with a little slingshot and fires it, knocks the guy out, cuts his head off, and instantly David becomes famed throughout all of Israel. This giant warrior by the name of Goliath was taken down by the little shepherd boy, David, because he had a belief. Who are you to defile the God of Israel? There was something that God knew and saw in David's heart. He was willing to deal with some of the tension that, that he would be facing, and that got God's attention. But soon, now David becomes this incredible young warrior boy, and his fame starts to spread. In fact, all of the songs of the day are more about David than they are about the sitting king, King Saul on the throne, and Saul has a problem with that. And when we read the story that Saul sets about in every way that he can to kill David. He had a human condition, realizing that no one is going to show me up, that, that all of these things that are happening, I'm just going to blow right through everything that God has, and I'm going to take care of this issue on my own. And so David becomes a refugee. He has to flee the kingdom because Saul is using everything at his resource to go and track down David 
and kill him. And the Bible says along the way, he picks up a ragtag bunch of soldiers that were looking for a leader. First Samuel chapter 22 says this. And all of those who were in distress, everybody say that word, in distress, all of those who were discontented, say that word with me, who were discontented, gathered around him, and he became their commander. There were about 400 men with David. Wow. How many would say, what a team I have, right? 400 men that are discontented, that are in debt, that are distressed. Woo, man, did I put an A team together or what, right? David's in for the fight of his life, and who does God bring around him but guys that have more problems than him? How many say, thank you, Jesus, right? When we're overwhelmed, when we're wiped out, and what do we say? Man, I don't know if I could take another hit. Anybody? Right? It seems like we woke up on Monday and it was bad. Tuesday got even worse. Wednesday was bad, more, more than Monday and Tuesday. And we wonder, God, what are you doing? Am I the only one here today? It feels like the, the worst. And what do we do? Listen, at times we feel like we're the only one. God must be picking on me. This doesn't happen to anybody else. Will somebody be glad for 1 Samuel chapter 22? Because when David was on the run for his life, the only people that God brought around him to those who were discouraged, discontented, those who were in debt, I mean, the worst of the worst. And David says, like, this is who you're giving me to help me out, God. Thanks, maybe, but no thanks, right? So why did all of this happen? Because there's a couple of powerful lessons, I think, that are here for you and I to help us in this. We go just a couple of chapters later, 1 Samuel chapter 24. David now, with these 400 men, are constantly on the run. Everywhere they turn, every spy that's waiting to give up David is whispering for some kind of reward to King Saul. I saw him over here. Man, if you, if you get him here, listen, you can take him out. I'll, I'll collect whatever reward there is. It says in chapter 24 that after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told that David is in the desert of Engedi. And so Saul took 3,000 able young men. How many did David have? 401, right? Including himself. Saul mounts an army of 3,000 men to go after David. And they looked for him everywhere they could. They ended up in a place near the crags of the wild goats. How many say the Bible's not exciting to read, right? I mean, where are these places, right? What is happening? And so he finds him in this valley that was filled with caves. And now the story gets a little bit earthy, if some of you kindly have probably read this story before. But in the midst of this hunt, basically Saul has to take a nature break, all right? And so he goes into one of these caves to relieve himself. Now, there's a spoiler alert to the story. Because he goes in by himself, all alone, and little did he know that that was the cave where all of David and his men were hiding. So there's 3,000 guys kind of outside, just kind of milling around, and Saul, by himself, goes into this cave, and in the back, in the darks, in the depths, there, maybe behind some beaks hiding, are David and his 400 men that have been on the run, being chased doggedly by this guy, King Saul. So here's our first connection point this morning. 
So most of you know that throughout this series that I've tried to give you some connection points. How do I ask more and get less? How do I connect the dots? You see, that's the tension that we're trying to get our attention. That's what happens like in the physical world, like how we started this morning, where that, that light switch gets turned off. I want you to turn it on this morning. I want you to be fully conscious. And how am I going to connect these dots to get the most out of life? So here's connection number one. You see, years before, David was given the talent to be a great musician. And while he was doing great exploits for Israel and, and, and battling and making wins for King Saul, King Saul invited him to stay in the, in the castle, in the king's chambers. And he said, man, your music is amazing. It kind of soothes me. Come and live in the castle with me. But on three particular occasions, while David was a young soldier at arms and trying to soothe and bring comfort to the king. On three separate occasions, King Saul tried to physically kill him in the moment. The Bible says that he threw a spear at him while he's walking down the hallway. David is dodging like life and death moments while he's trying to serve the king in the castle. Now, to me, I would ask the question, why would God allow the next king to hang around this old crazy king knowing full well that Saul was trying to kill him. I mean, what's the rationale? What's the point in that? Why would David be living in the place where this king, who could be untouched, no one would stop the king no matter what he wanted to do. And I mean, he's flinging spears and and slashing with swords to try to kill David. Well, here's the connection point. You see, because God was going to show David there is a potential Saul in every one of us. Why does God take us through some of those moments that kind of shake us to the core, that that put us in difficult moments? Because oftentimes it's in those moments that God wants to reveal that if we go unchecked, you might not believe it in the moment, but that human condition will be the same path that you could take as well. God let David, get really close to the king to show him, this is the kind of king that I don't want you to be. Maybe let me just kind of bring it a little bit more home this morning. For those of you that have parents, maybe of little older children or teenage parents, how many of you have that one child that seems to give you fits more than the others? Oh, you don't have to raise your hands. Now you raise your hands, right? I mean, there's that one, and maybe it's the dad and a kid, maybe it's the mom and the kid, and it's like, you know, I, I, like, I love them all, but there's just that one that, for whatever reason, I mean, they just, you know, they just, you know, they're in my face, they're like, we're arguing, they just don't, like, what is it? And how many know the answer to that question? Because they look at you and say, you know why you battle that kid? Because they're just like you. Hello? Do I have your attention now? You see, sometimes God has the ability to have people close to us to show us. This is why I think, again, reread Proverbs chapter 4, why Solomon had such this impassioned response to his sons to recognize, listen, I had a great example as a dad, and yet, 
Yet when it came to me, I failed. I, I let the light switch go down. And so now, as an aging father, I want to remind you my legacy about some of the poor decisions not only did your grandfather make, but that I made. There is a tension that demands my attention. And some of those difficult moments, we want to blast through. We, we want to spend as least amount of time there as possible. And sometimes there's something inside of us that God is just kind of putting the brakes on. And we cry and we call out to God, God, why, are, why am I here? Why, why have you not moved me past this? Why, why am I stuck? And I just want you to know that maybe one of the reasons that happens at times is because there is a potential Saul in all of us. That there's a moment for us to pray and for us to intercede, to say, God, maybe I'm in this difficult situation because left alone, I could easily become this kind of person. And God has us in a moment of pause to wait and to hear what it is. Let me take you back to the cave where David's men, you see, they, they can hardly contain themselves. This guy, this king who has been hunting them down and chasing them all over the desert, just walked in unarmed and all alone. I mean, talk about, oh, happy day, right? This, this king who, you know, at, at his word and, and has spies everywhere and has a reward, has a bounty on all of our heads. Now he's here. Now it's 401 against one. Like, God, finally you've come through. But, but let me give you connection point number two. Don't ever confuse the voice of men with the voice of God. You hear me today? You say, Pastor, how do I figure that out? Well, you see, that's why we stay in God's presence. That's why we pray. That's why we stay in God's word. That's why we allow and seek the power of the Holy Spirit to have his way in our life every other week. No, when? Every single day. You see, because we realize one of the connection points that we need is that we can often fight the confusion as to what the voice of men versus the voice of God. You see, part of it is the motive. I had an experience that happened many years ago. I'm, I'm pretty laid back in my approach. I, I might be getting a little bit more ornery the older that I get. I don't know, but... But for most of my life, there, you, it was pretty hard to ruffle my feathers. Like I just, like I just, big deal, like it just, whatever. And there was a situation that happened, and I had a buddy of mine that, that kind of came into my office one time, and he just kept like sticking the stick in my side, you know? I, he's like, yeah, I can't believe that you should back me. And, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. He's like, no, no you should, yeah. I can't believe that you, you know what you should do? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. And he just kept like, you know, prodding the bear kind of deal. And then like, it wasn't long. We're like, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, I mean, then I, then he got me all fired up. Like then I was angry. I was mad. And what happened was I was listening to the voice of man rather than listening to the voice of God. And how many know, like if we are not, allowing the Holy Spirit to have control, it can be pretty easy to listen to the voice of man over the voice of God. That's why we need to be so tuned in. 
You see, the men said to David, this is the day that the Lord has spoke when he said, I will give your enemies into your hands and you can deal with them however you wish. They started to twist the prophetic word to say, David, listen, whether you understand this or not, this is what we know. That guy who's been chasing us, who wants to kill us, walked in alone, unarmed, Remember what God said? God said one day that, that your enemies, that, that you're going to be able to, to put them to task. You're going to be able to deal with them. Listen, this is what the word said. That wasn't what the word said for David in this moment. And he had to fight the tension of rather listening to the voice of men rather than listen to the voice of God. Listen, there's so many applications for that in our life. I'm not telling that we don't put our discretion into some really close godly people that's that's a wonderful thing but don't ever confuse the voice of man for the voice of god somebody say yes with me today see let me take the story just a little bit further see not only were david's men in for it but if david would have walked out of that cave with saul's severed head you see david was already anointed king by samuel how many remember that you see, if he walked out with the head of Saul, all of those 3,000 men, all they, all they could have done is to bow their knee in allegiance to the new king. The old king is dead. All hope, all value, all allegiance to the new king. You see, there wasn't any tension for David's guys in this moment. Get us out of this mess. You have the power. You're already the king. Could you imagine what his guys were saying to him in the back of that cage? We're tired of being on the run. We're tired of being discontented, in debt, on the run. Listen, that, that palace, all that good stuff, that's ours. Listen, just sneak up there, slice his throat, and it's over. And we get everything that we want. David's men felt no tension in this moment. But David, a man after God's own heart was asking more questions. As David moves closer, just kind of finish up the story with you. Something the Bible says did not sit well with him in his spirit. And rather than slitting Saul's throat, he just sliced off the bottom of his royal robe that was probably hanging over a rock somewhere. And then he crawled back to his men. Listen, none of them were happy with him in the moment. What? You came back with a sliver of cloth rather than his head? What is wrong with you? Do you understand now the, the more pressure that you have put us under? Do you realize like if we make a sound, if, if Saul would have heard you, there are 3,000 men right outside the door that would rush in here and kill every one of us? David, what's wrong with you? Connection point number three. Don't ever try to undo what God has already done. You see, we have to know our role. How many of you ever tried to play God before? Come on, you can raise your hands. How many thought you knew more than God knew? Come on. How many thought what God's planning, this can't be right? I know more than he does. Listen, that's got to be every single one of us. You see, there's a connection point that David realized young. Don't ever undo what God has done. 
Listen, when everything's going great, and man, it's just all wonderful for us, like no problem, but the minute the heat gets turned up, how quickly, how quickly we fail, how quickly we fall. But it's in this pressure moment when, when David's men, right, were all against him, when there's 3,000 guys outside willing to kill him at the first moment. I mean, talk about attention to face. His own men wanting to kill him. 3,000 outside wanted to kill him. And there he stands in the middle facing a decision. And yet he vowed, I cannot undo what God has already done. You see, the more we walk in this journey, it becomes this matter of faith that we prayed about a little bit earlier. Who do we really trust to be in charge of our life? Listen, I know your pat answer is going to be God, but can I ask you for your real answer? Can I ask you to be honest today? How many of us want to bypass? We hear God say this, but we're like, God, you, you can't mean that. God says go right, but we know better, and we go left. Anybody? See, it's easy for us to justify our role in our decisions. David could not have adequately predicted the outcome of what was about to take place. Everybody else was convinced, but David knew in his heart. And I think that's our trouble as well. One of our biggest problems is that we believe we can predict the outcome of our decisions. And oftentimes... It becomes a disaster. When we fail to slow down and deal with the tension, it usually leads to unnecessary disappointments. One of the things that was stopping David from considering his action was his legacy. Not only what story am I going to tell, but what story is going to be told of me. Am I going to be a man of honor, a woman of honor? Am I going to be a legacy? Am I going to have to tell my kids, listen, do what I say, don't do what I do? Is that the kind of man that we're going to be? Is that the kind of father, the leader, the priest of our house that we are going to be? Or is it that our words and our actions are going to match up? You see, there are connection points. There's a tension that we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to help us. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 5, I told you, here's what David was wrestling with. So afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for just having cut off the corner of Saul's robe. You see, he knew the tension that was forming. He knew the power of the Holy Spirit that was working inside of him. Even when he was doing that, he knew that even though Saul was doing wrong, in the moment, God still had him as the king. And David recognized, I can't undo what God has already done. Let's be honest. The moment difficulty comes to our life, the first thing that we want to ask is what God Get me out of this. But God might just want to keep you in there. Why? Because there could be a potential Saul in us that God wants us to see some of the choices and different things that we need to change in our life. Maybe we have to learn that we are not God, hello, and that he is already done. We want to say, God is faithful, God is for me, God is with me. But when the heat gets turned up, 
oftentimes we're the first ones to bail and run. But you see, the more that we ask, the less we get, the less regret, the less fear, the less disaster, the less disappointment. We become in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's the conscience inside of us that God breathed into us. The power of his living spirit. And the more that you and I just kind of blast our way through life, we realize the potential disasters that wait. And yet God is working all things for our good. You see, what David didn't know in the moment is that God already had plans for the Philistines, another warring nation, to take care of Saul. David would not have to bloody his hands. God would keep him God would take care of him. God would order his steps. And I want to implore to everyone here today that the same God of David is the same God of you today as well. God has your steps ordered, but you and I have the choice, have the decision every day to form our own legacy. It either helps or hurts the quality of our life and our legacy. So Saul leaves, crosses the valley and gets with his men and David comes out holding just the swash of the robe that he cut from Saul. And he said, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered me into your hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared your life. And I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he at this moment still, is the Lord's anointed. David said, I can't undo what God has already done. And then he says this, and I'm going to leave you with this this morning. May the Lord judge between you and me. In other words, what he was saying is, I'm going to trust in God's timing, in God's way more than my way. And I think maybe one of the hardest lessons that you and I will ever learn is being able to trust God when his timing doesn't fit your timing. Can anybody say amen with me today? In those moments when we wonder, God, what are you doing? Listen, that is the biggest moment of growth. When it seems like your world is falling apart around you and you wonder, God, what are you doing? Listen, Debbie and I have had that happen multiple times in our life, and I'm sure you have too. And it's in those moments to realize, am I going to make the change? Am I going to justify? Do I know what's right? Do I know more than God? Or can I sit back in the midst of this tension and let it garner my spirit attention to say, God, in the midst of this, I choose to follow you, your path, your ways, my response to be you, not me. You see, that's where we grow the most. One of the things that I shared, so last Sunday morning, I, I was not negligent of my duty. Every Sunday morning before we ride, Kevin, the leader of the JOA, asked if I'll share a word to the crew before we take off. It's a Sunday morning. And last Sunday, I shared with them this. It's a book that I've been reading that I'm taking some of the staff through, and ultimately, I want to take us as a church through. Kind of the cool thing is, it's the story of...
the Lewis and Clark expedition or the Louisiana Purchase. Maybe some of you remember it from high school. Kind of the cool thing about it is, is that the road that we start on, the house that Meriwether Lewis grew up in is right there. For the last nine years, I've ridden by Meriwether Lewis's house, and I thought this year, man, maybe I should look back and read that story again. Maybe I should find out about what that deal was all about. And, and a couple of things jumped out from a book that I was reading. You see, Meriwether Lewis and Clark, they took canoes to go from Louisiana to what today is present-day weather, Oregon, Washington State, to get to the Pacific Ocean and the Northwest. You see, their assumption was is that what was in front of them was exactly what was behind them. They thought the rolling hills of the Appalachians were exactly like what they would find out west. At this point, no American settler had ever seen the west. And one day they got to the Lamhai Pass and when they looked around the corner, they saw mountains, today we know them as the Rocky Mountains, that were 12,000, 14,000, 16,000 feet high. Can I ask you this morning, how do you canoe the Rocky Mountains? You don't. You see, what is front of us is nothing like what's behind us. And when we can think about that in the world that we're living today, how many know that the world in front of us today is nothing like the world that is behind us? And one of the things that I shared with the riders and one of the things that Lewis and Clark had to face is that the obstacle is the way. I think for most of us, our human condition is, is that we want to repel when things get tough. We want to try to find another way. We want to question God. Very few of us really question maybe the obstacle is the way. Can I get a yes? Maybe the difficulties that I'm facing, that God hasn't abandoned me, that God's not against me. Maybe God is for me. Maybe God is with me. Maybe God is wanting to do something through me with this obstacle that is in my way. I'll tell you more in the months to come, but they literally had to carry their stuff over 16,000 foot mountains to get to the other side. And all along the way, they had to commit themselves to recognize that the obstacle is the way. Last Sunday morning, we had already ridden 104 miles and we were facing 106 miles that morning. Most guys don't want to do it. They don't want to get back on a bicycle seat. They don't want to bike another 106 miles. In fact, a lot of them had already made up their mind, I'm putting my bike in the truck at some point and they can shuttle me back to Charlottesville. And then they heard the obstacle is the way. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I want you to know that wherever you find yourself today, that God has not abandoned you. God hasn't forgotten you. Yep, the road is tough, no doubt. Sorry about that. There's pain, there's difficulty, there's struggle, there's addiction, there's challenge, there's loss. There's a lot of stuff but God's mercies can be new for you today. 
God has never left you. God's hope is greater than the obstacle that is in front of you. Don't undo what God has already done. Step into the obstacle and watch God strengthen you. Watch God form you and make you. Make better decisions listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that's in you, guiding you, wanting to do more with you today than he did with you yesterday. What an epic adventure God has for you today, friends. Don't give up. Don't pack your bike. Be determined that God is for me, that God is with me. His strength and his help is everything, is all that I need today. May that be your word today. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I pray over this church family today. I pray that we become more in tune to the power of your spirit speaking inside of us that we stop allowing the noise and the struggle to be stronger, to be a louder voice than the voice of the power of the Spirit of God inside of us. He who is with us, church, is greater than he that is against us. And so God, today, we again empty ourselves and relish in the fact that you are for us and you are not against us that we are not going to bypass the path that you have ordered for our steps. At times, the path will be difficult. At times, it will be hard. At times, we will question. We will wonder. We will want to give up. We will say, why God? And yet, in the midst of that struggle, can we not listen for the voice of God to say, I have you. My plans and my purpose are to bless you, are to grow you, to strengthen you, to make you great in the kingdom. And so God, help us to be strong. Help us to listen even more intense. God, help us to know that the days before us will be better than the days behind us. Church, I just want to give you like 30 seconds. Maybe some of you are struggling this morning. Maybe some of you came in with maybe that question in your heart already today. How wonderful would it be for you to hear the voice of God over your spirit and over your soul right now? Can we make this a place of prayer this morning for this next moment? Can we just call out to God to say, God, that's been me. That's been my story. That's where I'm at today. But I've heard the power of your word. I've heard something new touch my spirit this morning. I know that I need to stay in the battle. I know that I know that you are for me. I know that what you want to do in me is greater than anything that I could do given my own direction or my need. And so God, today I commit to the hand of God. I commit to listen more to the voice of the Spirit of God in my life today. I want this feeling. I want this tension to get my attention, to help me in that moment. Well, before I do anything, I want to hear from God. Before I make this decision, I want to know that I know that I know that I've heard from the power of heaven in my life because there is a legacy 
there is a legacy that I want for my kids, for my family, for my friends to follow. God, give me a steadfast spirit within me. Strengthen my inner being. Let me be a man, a woman of God. Let me be filled with the spirit of Jesus today. God, I thank you that my life is built on you today. Lord, let I pray this moment of prayer, this moment of peace. Let it fill every soul today. Give us strength, I pray, that you give us the ability to climb every mountain to find our way to the place where we find peace and strength in you. So God, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for this worship. Thank you for this opportunity to know that we are being changed in the presence of a living and a holy God today. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.